Well, welcome back, everyone. It's great to see you all here tonight. Uh, it is 7 o'clock in New Orleans. It's something else in New Delhi. I don't know if we have any people watching from India tonight, but in case we do, we welcome you with an Indian welcome. So anyway, it's great to have you all back. It's session three of the Alpha course. Um, hope you've had the opportunity to be here for the last several couple of weeks that we've been here. And I uh, want to uh, also let you know that tonight, um, there's an opportunity. If, you, if you'd like to get a, a CDs of the previous weeks and tonight's uh, uh, topic, you can do that. We'll have some CDs for you over here. So the first two weeks and tonight's talk will be over there on that little bar there. So you can pick those up free, grab one for your friends uh, if you'd like. And we would welcome you to do that. You can also go to Lakeview Christian Center's um, YouTube page, and you can watch any of these if you'd like to. Uh, if you maybe miss one, you want to make up for that, you can just go ahead and do that. So, um, as we've discussed in the previous two sessions, a major aspect and purpose of Alpha is to encourage us to think. To think about not just what we believe, but to think about why do we believe what we believe? And as we've said, the problem with our 90-mile-an-hour lives that we live, we can have a tendency of assuming or judging too quickly without enough evidence. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to take a little minute just to show you a few, a few videos to drive home the point that judging prematurely or maybe without enough evidence or taking enough time to really investigate something or maybe even with a built-in prejudice could bring us to the wrong conclusion. Anyway, you can see that it could be a problem to judge too quickly, and we're hoping that you're not doing that, particularly in the, as in the realm of the most important questions that there are in life. And so, again, glad you're here, glad you're watching with us, and do trust that you are not judging too quickly. That, and here's a fair question to ask ourselves. Have we possibly assumed things about Jesus and the Bible 
without thoughtfully examining them, what we're banking our forever on. Are we, again, spending so much time worried about our very brief dash lives, and we are actually thinking about what is on the other side of my last heartbeat that I believe is going to last forever? And these are important questions that we have to ask. And, and if I, and think about this, am I simply assuming these things? Uh, and, and if so, it really begs the question. Here's, here's, here's a, a good question for us to consider. Is my faith position, okay, my faith position, every one of us has a faith position. Is my faith position about who God is and his acceptance of me based on my definition of God and who he should be or God's definition of God and who he is? Is it me determining who God is, in other words, or does God get to determine who he is? I think that's a good question. Have I critically thought or just sincerely, sincerely presumed? Uh, personally, just about me, I had uh, sincerely assumed, and I found that though I was very sincere, I was sincerely wrong. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about my growing up. I grew up in a traditional Italian New Orleans family, traditional Italian New Orleans upbringing. Sunday, church, spaghetti and meatballs, and cannolis, all right? As long as we got to the cannoli part, I was perfectly happy. But that was us. It was go to church, least favorite thing to do, and then lunch, which was fine, cannolis. I lived for cannolis. Um, and so, as you can tell, because I'm obese. Um, but anyway, um, but my theology was really, and you know, theology, the study of God. That's what Theo, God, Logos, the study of God. My theology was really more me-ology, okay? I had constructed a God that suited me. And I basically, I worshipped the BVM. I don't know if any of you folks worshipped the BVM, but I, I worshipped uh, the BVM, and this is the BVM that, that I worshipped before. The, the blessed vending machine. That's, that's what I worship. The blessed vending machine and my good works. Maybe you can relate to this. My good works were the currency that I would use. That if I do this good works, I accrued currency to myself so that I could just kaplunk into the blessed vending machine, the heavenly vending machine, what I deserve to get. Because I'd worked for that. And that's how my meology worked. I do good works. God owes me. I don't do the things that I should do. God doesn't owe me. So basically, I had made God in my own image, which is exactly the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God said, let us make man in our own image. Well, the gospel, according to Frank, said, I will make God in my own image. So I could have, you know, basically... I needed a God, I needed to create a God that was manageable, uh, was to my liking, uh, so that he fit into my own meology. And so I have my own meology, and maybe you have your own urology. Well, it doesn't work that way. Maybe you have your own meology as well. Um, but basically, um, in meology, I am greater than God. In meology, God is my servant because I, you know, I basically 
do what I do, and therefore God has to do what he does. And so my currencies, I'm basically paying God off to give me what I want and not give me what I don't want. And so God basically, in meology, becomes your celestial butler, basically. He becomes your step and fetch. He becomes the one that gives me what I want based on what I think is best for me. And so maybe you, maybe you have to consider tonight, maybe I'm more a meologist than I thought I was. Well, tonight we're on page 20 of our workbook, the topic, Why Did Jesus Die? And according to the Bible, according to the Bible, the answer that you and I give in faith to this question has got to be correct if the Bible is true. It is the most important answer you and I will ever have to give. And if true, you know, our lives in the, in the line and in, in the dash and in the line are dependent upon how we answer this question. Now, again, I just made a very narrow statement that based upon what Jesus said, if true, our lives now in the dash and on the other side of our last heartbeat are dependent upon how you and I answer this question as to why did Jesus die? John Stott, who's an author, famous author, Christian author and teacher, um, this is what he said. He said, the reason why many people give the wrong answers to questions about the cross, in other words, why Jesus died, and even ask the wrong questions, is that they have carefully considered neither the seriousness of sin nor the majesty of God. Okay, so they consider, this is me. This, okay, I don't want you, this is me. This is my, this is my meological perspective. I had never carefully considered the seriousness of sin, okay? I, I, I saw sin from my perspective, okay? Let me just define sin for you for a moment. Sin just basically means missing the mark, right? It's just getting it wrong. And so the seriousness of sin, I knew nothing of the seriousness of sin. Now, my sin may be bad, but it's certainly not as bad as, as Peggy's sin. It's certainly not that bad, you know? Um, and so... You know, we get into this relative thinking. So I've never considered seriousness of sin because I'm looking at my sin from my perspective. Therefore, are you going to look at your sin as big or small? Of course you're going to look at it as small, for the most part. I never considered the seriousness of sin, nor had I considered the majesty of God. I never considered how big my sin was, nor had I ever really considered how big God is. And I realized I needed to start getting a perspective other than mine as to this issue of sin. So the, uh, the fact of the matter is because I had no clue of what the Bible said, I had no idea of this. I had no idea that the Bible contradicted what I believed. I mean, I was a, a PhD in meology and the Bible contradicted me. And I had no idea of that because I had no idea what the Bible said. So either I'm right or the Bible's right because we're coming from two completely different perspectives. So, and remember, 
I'm not asking you to believe a word I'm telling you. And I know some of you may have no problem with that. But this is an introduction to Christianity and what the Bible says. And so this is what we take with us to chew on. What does the Bible say about God? What does the Bible say about me? What does the Bible say about when I get it wrong? What does it say about a relationship with God? Is this, that's even possible. Forgiveness, is that really even possible? Peace with God, is that even really possible? Well, the Bible teaches that we, there is a problem. We have a problem. And the problem is this. God is holy. God is perfect. God is all the time that. And you and I, not so much. Not so much. The God of the Bible says that you and I, every one of us, have fallen short of that which allows him as a holy God to accept us, for us to be acceptable to him. And so, and there's scripture that backs this up. And again, not asking you to believe it, but this is what the scripture teaches. And I had no idea of that. So when I'm faced with something I'd never seen before, maybe the first time I see it, I, repulse, I repel it. Maybe the second time I repel it. But when I start looking at the evidence in my own life and start looking at what the Bible says, possibly I want to open my life up to the fact that maybe, just maybe, I've been wrong about God and who he is. And maybe even I've been wrong about me and who I think I am. So this issue then, if that's the case of why Jesus died, becomes not a take it or leave it question. It becomes an essential question to you and me and my life in the dash and my life on the other side of my last heartbeat and what that's going to be dependent, the Bible says, upon how I answer that question. So let's just look at a couple of scriptures. I mean, we're just scratching the surface of many Bible verses. But look, look at this. The Apostle Paul, he is writing to the church at Rome. Now, look, this is 300 years before any denominations show up. Okay, so when we think about the Romans, we're not thinking about the Roman Catholics. I'm not being critical of that. I just want you to know this is the church at Rome, the first century church in Rome. Paul writes this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all of us have sinned and are therefore unacceptable to God. Because you and I have sin. Now, I don't mind the all. I don't mind the corporate element of this. I just don't like when it gets pointed at me. I just don't like that. Okay, maybe you like, you know, Frank has sinned. Okay, Trammell has sinned. Emma has sinned. Dan, you. Oh, Dan, you. <laughs> Let's not even talk about you. You have sinned. Everybody has sinned. We've all sinned. Okay, in other words, okay, well, what's this sinned word? Let's just take it into life here. Okay, Frank, you have sinned, you have lied, you have cheated, you have lusted, you have been jealous, you have been envious, you have cheated on your taxes. Well, that may not be a sin, but, you know, we've, we've all done what, our, what we want to do, right? We've all wanted to be the master of the faith, our faith, the captain of our soul. We have all sinned. The result of that is we're disqualified, the Bible says, we have disqualified ourselves from a relationship with a holy God. In other words, in God's economy, the acceptable score is 100, 100% of the time. Is that encouraging? Heck no, that's not encouraging. Okay? 
I'm going to be laying out some news for you that is not encouraging news here. But I promise you, don't leave. I'm going to turn the corner. I promise you that. So, so hang on there. So God is holy 100% of the time. Frank is unholy 100% of the time. I actually have no idea that the best things I do may not be laced with selfishness and something I want out of having done something right or good. And so then Paul goes on in the 10th chapter's letter to the Romans and says this, there is none righteous, not even one. Okay, let's define terms, the word righteous here, okay? There's none right before God. There is none correct before God. Okay, the, the, the term, the biblical term righteous simply is a legal judicious term or judicial term for not guilty. Okay, there is none not guilty, not even one. There is not one who can stand before God and on his or her own plead his case according to what the Bible teaches. Now, meological righteousness, haha, that's another thing. So there's biblical righteousness and there's meological righteousness. Well, if you want to see a standard of meological righteousness, you are looking at him. Okay. So a meological righteousness requires this. And you may want to write this down because it's one of the, my favorite terms I've ever heard. It's not, it's not something I came up with. Uh, Tim Keller is a, a retired pastor at Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in Manhattan. Came up with this term called validating performance record. I love this validating performance record. In other words, you have a record of performance whereby you are validated, right? You get your stamp, like you get a ticket that gets validated. You don't have to pay, right? When you do that, you go park, park, whatever. It's a, it's a get out of jail free card. So we look at this as a record. A, a meologist, me, looks at a record of performance that validates us where I earn God's acceptance based on my terms. So again, my, my standing with God is either going to be based on his terms or my terms. It can't be both. And because I didn't know what the Bible said, I thought my terms seemed pretty reasonable. So, and many a certain belief. I certainly did that the way we are accepted through God, and there's many ways to think, okay, how am I accepted for, before God? And, and in the United States of America, you, I've, I've seen this. I've, I've heard this question asked, and the, the answer to the question is, how are you accepted by God? And so many people will answer the question <laughs> by keeping the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's what you were thinking. How are you accepted? Well, keeping the Ten Commandments. Okay. Let me ask you a question. You're, those of you who are watching, those of you who are here, um, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Okay. How many of you, if you know what they are, um, how many of you just go ahead, don't, don't be humble, don't be shy. How many of you kept all Ten Commandments? Okay, 100% here. Um, you know, it's interesting, there was a thousand, a, a, a survey done not that long ago, over a thousand people, and... Um, a thousand people were asked uh, to, to quote the Ten Commandments, all ten of them. So the, uh, about 14% of them knew the Ten Commandments, which blew me away. I think 140 or so people knowing the Ten Commandments surprised me. I never would have guessed that many. But much more importantly, 80% um, knew to all be patties, 
special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun, which, which confirmed to me more people knew how to get through the golden arches than the pearly gates. I, I, that's good, Matt. Thank you. Uh, I, I needed to put a laugh track in there just because I didn't know what you guys would respond there. But, but isn't that interesting? That the very thing so many people think, well, I got to keep the Ten Commandments. You don't even know what they are. And if you did know what they were, you would realize uh, you're worse than you think you are. That's what, okay, so let me just keep digging myself into a big hole with you guys here. Because um, the last two nights seem pretty nice. You're getting really personal here. Uh, you are, I am, um, worse than I really think I am. I mean, really, how, however good you think you are, you are worse than that. And let me just prove it. Can I just prove it to you right now? I'm not going to call anybody up that they can confess. But um, let's say for a moment that you have a thought monitor attached to the top of your head. Okay? And there's a little port, a little USB port tucked back here. And from the USB port, you don't need to look at McDonald's anymore. The USB port there, and it shows all of your thoughts. Okay, so wherever you go, all right? Now, Jamie, you definitely do not want one of these. But um, so wherever you go, whatever you're thinking. So, um, you know, now it's, it's COVID time, and people are so patient, aren't they? Patient and kind and understanding. And you're standing in line, maybe you're standing in line at a grocery store and you see these, you know, these things plopped on the ground, you know, you know, be kind, be social, be distanced, whatever. Um, and you're standing there. Well, suddenly, all of a sudden, you know, you're standing in line at the grocery store and, and uh, you get, you transgress the six foot line. And the guy turns around and goes, hey, pal, don't you see you're closer than six feet to me? I mean, back up. And you go, hey, I'm really, really sorry. And you just back up. But on your thought monitor, <laughs> the moment he turns around, you just sneeze into your mask and drop his mask and just rub it right in his face. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, many of us, if people could see our thought monitor, we would be arrested. But imagine just, just one more. Um, Gentlemen, your wife has just bought, come home with a new dress. And um, she, of course, wants to try the dress on for you. And she tries the dress on and she um, comes to model it for you. And she, she turns around and says, sweetheart, uh, do you think this dress makes my rear end look big? Now, if you have a dime's worth of sense in your head, gentlemen, you are going to say, oh, sweetheart fits you like a glove it's perfect well there's that stinking monitor and on that tele and on that monitor suddenly you see a sausage factory and they're just just driving that sausage through the lining um so it's we we're worse than we think um i i had no idea the Bible had me under so much scrutiny. Um, and that is something that we need to begin to look at what the Bible has to say about 
me, what the Bible has to say about God and what the Bible has to say about us separated and together. So we look at this. The results are the evidences of sin. There are So let's just kind of look at what Jesus has to say about sin. So we, we're, we're looking at this. It talks about the pollution of sin. Here's what Jesus says. It's in the Gospel of Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus talks about pollution coming from within. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of woman, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. You can't blame your parents. Say, you, know, I would, you, know, you just can't do that. I mean, you can if you want. But it comes from within. Because actually, if you think about it, next week, please don't miss next week. Because it's going to help us a lot more in terms of this. That we inherit kind of a, 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 a spiritual DNA. But it comes from within. And it says, and they defile a person. They pollute us from the heart. From that place of communication with God. So we see the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin, is this, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, what are wages? Wages are something you earn. The wages of sin, okay, wanting what you want when you want it, wanting what I want when I want it, and the heck with you, seating myself in control, depending upon no one but myself and others I need to step and fetch for me, okay, the wages of sin is death. Now, let's just define death. It's important that we define terms here. The wages of sin is death. Now, in the Bible, death is not annihilation. Death is separation. It's important to see. Okay, so when going back to Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, I got all these trees here. You can eat from any one of them. But do not eat from this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God says, the day you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. Okay, well, what happened at that moment? When they did partake of the fruit, they immediately died in their relationship with God. They began to die in their relationship to one another. Remember, they felt shame. And then thirdly, they were going to die eventually in their relationship to their bodies. They died immediately, separated immediately from God. That separation was beginning and taking place in their relationship to one another. And eventually, their soul, their spirit would be separated from their body in physical death. You may want to look that tonight. If you're not familiar with that story, to get a little more detail, Genesis chapter 3. And so then, so the wages of sin is death. And then so the pollution of sin, the penalty of sin, and the partition of sin. Okay, that division, that partition, that thing that divides us. This is what Isaiah says some 700 years before Jesus. He says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save or it cannot rescue. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, okay, your uncleanness, your selfishness, your desires to basically be your own God in your own meological designs have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. 
because you're not even asking the right things. You should be glad he does not hear you. And that doesn't mean he doesn't pay any attention. That doesn't mean that he stands aloof. Not at all. We're going to turn the corner on that in just a moment. But we see here that there is, the Bible tells us, tells us that there is a chasm of separation between God and man. There's a chasm of separation that is impossible for you and me to forward in our own efforts by our own validating performance record because our performance record never validates it. It may validate us in our own minds, but the issue is, am I going to get away with being able to define God how I define God? Or will I let God define himself? That's really the question. In my meology, I was hell-bent on defining God, how he fit into my puzzle of my existence. And so this huge chasm. So all religions of validating performance record try to deal with this chasm in one way. In one way, and let me just give you, I, can, I want to give you a little comparative religion course right now. If you're thinking about taking comparative religion, I can save you a lot of money, all right? So, world religions and Christianity. Here's God, here's man. This is the chasm of division here, all right? It's obviously a lot bigger, but it's all I can do with this screen. So, so let's just look at some of the world religions. So when we look at this, all, these, all religions say that man is here, God is here, and these lines of, uh, that are higher than others is that, well, this is a really bad dude here, okay? And this guy or this gal may be a little better, and he may be a little better, and he may be a little better, but there's still a separation here. So religion says, do the best you can. And what, so whether it's Islam or Hinduism or Mormonism or Buddhism or the ever-increasing religion of whatever, do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, they basically teach this, that God is here, man is here, and you just do the best you can. So with Islam, the five pillars of, of uh, Islam, if it's, if it's uh, Buddhism, it's the eightfold path of enlightenment. You know, if, and, and we could just go on and on, but every one of them, regardless of what the tenets of their faith are, they are teaching this, that it's up to you to determine where you are going to be with God. It's up to your performance. Your performance validates you. What, what you believe and what you do validates you before God. Now, I'm not saying by this that Christianity is true, though obviously I believe it is. But this is the difference. Biblical Christianity teaches this, that God is here and we are here. But because our efforts fall so far short, because we have sinned, because we are not righteous, because we are meologists, because we want what we want when we want it. And God knew that it was in, it, we were incapable of having a relationship with him based on our efforts. Christ lives the life on earth we could not live and died the death we should have died so that we can have a relationship with him. And so, this is basically the difference between every religion. Please, check this out. Don't believe me. Check this out. Every religion teaches, if it's going to be, it's up to thee. Okay? Every religion teaches that you have got to do this yourself by keeping religious tenets. 
Biblical Christianity says, you can't do it. And God loves us so that he does this for us, what we can't do for ourselves. Completely different. So let's just take a look for a minute. Let's just turn the corner for a minute and see. Okay, you've told me how bad I am. (laughs) You've told me that I'm worse than I thought I was. My self-esteem is really in the dirt right now. Um, And maybe that's where it needs to be. But let's look and see what the Bible has to say. That there's a solution, a remedy to deliver, to heal. Peter writes in his letter to the churches. Okay, This epistle from Peter is written to those who are followers of Jesus. They believe him. They believe the model of biblical Christianity. This is what Peter says. And he himself... He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live in righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Okay, so remember now, he is writing to those who have believed and trusted that their validating performance record is not validating. They have believed that what Christ has done for them validates them. And so let's look at this scripture. He himself bore all of our sins. Everything I ever did wrong, the Bible teaches that when Jesus hanged from that cross, he took on all of my rebellion, all of my sinfulness, and all of my selfishness. He took them in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's like this. Like you and I were plugged in. Our lives were plugged into sin, right? The day you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die, right? You Sin and death are what separates us from God. Death is not annihilation, but separation. So when we are plugged into sin, we are plugged into death. And it says that Jesus came so that we might die to sin, be unplugged to death and separation, and then be plugged into life. It says here that we might die to sin and live to righteousness or become alive in righteousness, but not a righteousness that's our own. It's a righteousness, the Bible says, that's given to us by faith when I'm willing to relinquish my meological relativism and trust what the Bible says to me about me and God and his love for me. By his, for by his wounds, we were healed. We were brought to life. We were saved. We were given life. And then Peter goes on to write this. He says, for Christ died for your sins once for all. The righteous, Christ, for the unrighteous, us. Why did he do that? To, now hear this, to bring you to God. He's not just forgiven. The work of the cross not only forgives us, the work of the cross does this. It brings us to God. Not just forgiven, accepted. So here's the question. Who's bringing whom to God in this this scripture? If this scripture is true, this is what it means. For Christ died for sins... Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. In this statement, who's bringing whom to God? 
Am I bringing my validating performance record to God? No, Christ is bringing his record of validation. That one. He's bringing his record of validation to God. And he brings us with him. Not just forgiven, accepted. Not just, okay, I forgive you now. Sherry, get out of here. You're forgiven. It's not just forgiven, but brought near to a holy God. Okay. In meology, I had to bring myself to God with my validating performance record. Just to find out that the Bible disagrees with me. The question is, who's right? That's a question we have to struggle with. We have to wrestle with. Is it my validating performance record that uh, commends me to God? Or is it Christ's validating performance record? If I believe that. If I'm willing to be unplugged from my death and plugged into his life. We're going to talk a whole lot more about this next week. Um, this is so important. So here, here's what the Apostle Paul said. Because here's a guy that believed in a validating performance record. Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul, had a, had a validating performance record that length of your arm, at least. But he came to see this. That it was Christ who did for him what he could not do for himself, no matter how good he was. And it was Christ, and hear this too, because I don't know where you are tonight. But it was Christ who did for him... As well, no matter how bad you or I were. Because some of you may be here tonight. Some of us may be here thinking, now you talk about how you know, relatively good you think you are. There's a lot of us that say, you just don't know what I've done. And I can't expect God to forgive me for what I've done. I'll just, just lay this out for you for a second. Just say it straight. You don't have higher standards than God. You may think you do, but you don't. And if God says what you've done is not beyond his ability to forgive and accept, then take him up on his word. Believe what he says. Don't believe what you say. It's very important. It's very important. But here's what Paul says. In his letter to the church in the region of Galatia, Paul writes this. I love this. I... I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Jesus to die. Now, let me just, again, define a couple of terms here. Grace. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Okay, what is grace? Okay, for most of us, for me, it was what you said before you ate dinner at your Italian table. Bless us, O Lord. And these thy gifts, which we're about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. That's the grace of God. No, that's, that's nice. But the Bible def def defines grace as unmerited favor. You may want to write that down if you're not familiar with this. Grace equals unmerited favor. It's receiving something you don't deserve. So grace is receiving something. In the case of what biblical Christianity says, it's receiving someone and someone's life that you and I don't deserve. So I do not treat the unmerited favor of God as meaningless. In other words, I don't set aside the, un, 
the unmerited favor of God. I don't neutralize it. I don't cast it off. I don't violate it. I don't annul it. I do not treat the unmerited favor of God as meaningless. For if by keeping the law or the Ten Commandments, remember we talked about those earlier that very few of us know what they are, but try to keep what we don't know about anyway, um, could make us right with God, then catch this. There was no need for Jesus to die. Okay, do you get that? If I could be good enough for God to accept me, if there was some means of that to happen, there was no reason for Jesus to die. If it was in you or in you or in me to do that, then he would not have had to die. He could have just been a life coach. He could have just come down and give us a few more re- rules, pat us on the butt and say, hey, Frank, you go get him. You can do this. I'm counting on you. He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. If I could be good enough to get God to accept me, Jesus wasted his time dying. Okay. There would be no Easter, which wouldn't be good for the American economy or Easter bunnies or Easter eggs or anything else for that matter. But there would be no Easter. There would be no need for Easter. It's fascinating that we're talking about this topic during Easter week. Jesus, let me just, this is a long quote, and I wanted you to catch this. Jesus did not come to simply be an example impossible to emulate. He came to be our Savior. Validating performance record religion gives us rules and laws for us to attempt to improve our self-determining meology. But validating performance religion does not give us a savior to receive because in validating performance record religion, we don't need to be saved. We just need to be improved. The Bible would argue vehemently against that statement. The question, though, is how improved? How good is good enough? The Bible says Jesus Christ accomplished for us in all of our selfishness for what we in a million reincarnations or lifetimes could never accomplish for ourselves. Because God, unlike us, is perfect in all of his ways, always. Now let's just take a minute just to look at at, um, some of the attributes of God. Just what the Bible says. I'm just going to pick some words out here for us. Okay? So... Attributed to God is that God is love. We're familiar with that terminology. We like that thought. God is love. And the Bible does teach that. The Bible also says that God is holy. We've been talking about that. He's perfect in all of his ways. The Bible says he's mercy. I like that, that God is merciful. We see that throughout all the scripture. But we also see that God is wisdom. He's all wise as well. He is also, he knows everything. He's all knowledge. Okay. And we see that he's patient. I'm grateful. For patience. Are you not grateful for patience? Grateful for patience. But this is, this is kind of the kicker here. The Bible says that God is justice. Right? He is justice. So these things, but for God to be God, he has to be all of these all of the time. 100% of these, 100% of the time with no compromise. Well, let me just give you an example here of why Jesus died. The importance of that. And how God can be merciful and just at the same time. 
because he's all wise and all patient and all holy. So let's go into a courtroom for a moment. And let's just say that I have been uh, in, in, in Judge Baroni's court um, because I went, uh, I was going to a, 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 uh, an interview for a job. I happened to speed through a school zone at 50 miles an hour. Um, a little over the speed limit, I think, for a school zone. And um, I end up in court. And um, of course, because it's a Louisiana court, even though I know the judge, he's not going to recuse himself in this case. It's Louisiana. So what difference does it make? So, um, so uh, the judge says to me, Frank, um, you're going 50 miles an hour in a speed limit. Now, the... the uh, the penalty for going 50 miles an hour in a speed limit is a $10,000 fine. Well, I'm going to a work interview. I don't have $10, much less $10,000. Well, the judge cares for me, and um, he calls me to the bench, and he says, Frank, what are you doing going 50 miles an hour in a school zone? And I said, well, Your Honor, um, I was late for an interview. I was thinking about the interview. I wasn't paying attention to the school zone sign, and I just, I just blew right through it. I'm so sorry. So the judge says to me, um, Frank, um, I'm going to let you go this time, but if I ever catch you in my court again, I'm going to have to throw the book at you. And I go, thank you so much. Now, how'd that come out for me? How, how did mercy do right there? Did I get mercy? I got lots of mercy. What was compromised? Justice was compromised. Well, let's say I go back into his courtroom. And the judge just, Frank, um, you're going 50 miles an hour in a school zone. The school, the, the penalty is $10,000. Case dismissed. But what the judge does, because he loves me so much is he gets up from behind the bench, he takes off his judicial robes, he pulls a checkbook or his debit card or whatever it would be out of his pocket and he gives it to the bailiff and he writes a check for $10,000 made payable to Orleans Parish. Was justice satisfied? The fine is $10,000. Was mercy extended? Absolutely. See, God, in all of his wisdom, in all of his knowledge, with all of his patience toward us, becomes both, the Bible says, the just and the justifier. Let's just look at what this scripture says here. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've looked at that. And are justified, look at this, as a gift by his grace. Now, let me just stop for a minute. So the, the judge has just written a check and offered it to me so that I get to go free. He took my performance record and nullified it by his performance record. But there's two things I can do at that moment. I can say, thank you so much. Or I can say, I'll be doggone if I'm going to be indebted to you. I don't need your stinking $10,000 check. 
and have to figure out some way to pay a fine that I have absolutely no way of paying. See, when a gift is extended to you, you either you can do one of two things with it, can't you? You can accept the gift or you can reject the gift. But look, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Now, justified means made right. Legal term, made right, found not guilty as a gift by his unmerited favor through the redemption. You know what the redemption is? Oh, us, people, us old people, remember S&H green stamps? You remember those? Okay, you buy something back. He bought us back, which is in Christ Jesus. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, here we go, just, 100% just, and the one who justifies, 100% merciful, those who have faith in Jesus. We're going to talk about this word next week. Please do not miss next week. We're going to talk about faith and belief in a lot more specific terms next week. It's important for us to see this, and it's important for me to hurry. Um, so, so here we go. For the wages of sin is death. Now, we talked about that early. What we get because of our sin is separation from God, but the free gift of God is eternal life for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have faith, those who have believed. The free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, you're plugged into death. That's what you've earned. But the free gift of God is being plugged into life, God's life, the life God offers, the life God wants you and me to have. Now, um, I want us to turn real quickly to page 21 in our workbooks. Um, I know by doing this, I'm going to blow my time. Um, but I just want to look at this real quickly. And I'm going to run through it fast. Maybe you guys can talk about this at your table or you can look at this during the week. I think this would be helpful for you to maybe when you leave here tonight just to take some time looking at this. But look at the result of the cross. And maybe I'll just walk us through this real quickly. What's the result of the gift of God if you receive it? Well, the cross shows that you're infinitely valuable to God. That Jesus is the supreme example of love. And hear this one. God is not aloof from suffering. Do you know, in, in any other world religion, that supreme being, that higher power, um, stands aloof from the sufferings of man. Do you know, in biblical Christianity, in Christianity, Christ enters into the very belly of our sin and our rebellion. And he fights it for us. And defeats it for us. It's fascinating. He suffers for us. And the powers of evil have been defeated. The resurrection wasn't the reversal of a defeat. It was the manifestation of a victory. And we see here that the, the partition now that we talked about earlier, it's been removed. The penalty has been paid. The power of sin, we're going to talk much more about that next week and the weeks to come, has been broken and the pollution, that internal defilement, has been removed by Jesus' blood. He, he purifies us from all of our sins. It does not mean that when I accept this, I never do anything wrong again. But as we're going to talk about next week, I become someone I never was before. 
So what do I do with this, this, act, this offering of a gift? Well, uh, let me just, just do this real quickly. Um, let's just say... Um, Let's just say, Keith, you're way back there, but I'm just going to do this with you anyway because of my, I'm stuck in a frame here. Um, let's say that I have this gift for you, and this gift will save your life. If you don't have this gift, you will lose your life. And I, I want to give this to you. I've paid for it for you. Now, how much good does this gift do, Keith, in my hands? Don't do him any good. When does it do Keith good? When he takes it. So if I were to say to Keith, it's yours, you can have it. What does Keith have to do? You have to reach out and receive. I've offered it to you. See, God makes the offer of life. The question is, what am I doing with that offer? If I realize I need a gift that I don't have the capacity in myself to pay for, but someone says, I've come to pay your penalty for you. Then I have a choice to make. Either I humble myself and say, I can't do this myself. I need you to do this for me. Or I can say, well, I'm going to put this off. I'm not that bad. I'm not sure I believe all this stuff. I'm not, I don't want to be one like, like one of you goody two-shoes Jesus freaks. Um, it has nothing to do with anything at all. But when God offers the gift, when a gift is offered, there is always a response to that gift. See, the scripture that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's that word gave again as a gift that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not continue to be plugged into death but shall be plugged into his forgiving, merciful life, brought to life. And so again, I just, like we did a couple weeks ago, I want you to insert your name here. For God so loved, speak your name to yourself. That he gave his only son, that speak your name to yourself, believes in him, receives the gift, will not be eternally separated from him, but will have eternal life so so what do i do um well you simply if you want to even right where you are tonight wherever you may be just simply receive the gift jesus did the hard part he did the part you and i cannot do uh, and let me just say this surrendering one's life to christ has absolutely nothing to do zero to do with what denomination you're in or what church you attend. This is not about your denomination. This is not about the church you attend. This is about you and God, period. That's what the Bible says. And so I would just like to, and I just, you know, there's a, there's a little communication you can do with God right now. And uh, we typically call that prayer, but it's just communicating with God. And if you'd like, if you'd like, you can just... Kind of repeat this with me. If this is what the, is in your heart, just to right now say, I want to receive that gift. I want to, I want to stop being a meologist. I want to stop depending upon my performance record. I realize now that I, my performance record does not validate me before God. And I want to receive 
Christ-validated uh, performance record. I want his work to accrue to me, not my work to accrue to me. It's one or the other. So you can exchange right now, just like I did, like many in this room did. And I want you to ask those folks at your table tonight, what brought you to believe this? You can exchange your validating performance record for Jesus's right now, tonight. And that's just a, something that I, which I'm just going to repeat right now. If that's something that's in your heart, you can do that too. If that's something you're thinking about, just go through this with us. and Maybe it'll mean something to you later. Maybe it won't. But you could just say this. And I would encourage you, just look at this. Pray with your eyes open. <laughs> God, I know now that I have been a myologist trying to improve and save myself on my own terms, not yours. But tonight, I realize that I need you to be my savior. I cannot save myself. By faith, I humbly receive your gift of eternal life. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Jesus, I am ready to trust you as my Lord and savior. Thank you for coming to the earth to save even me. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Lord and my Savior now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, um, next week, uh, I again, I've already invited you back three times at least already. But next week, how can I be sure of what I believe? Can I be sure? Well, I think you're going to be surprised by the answer. Because for the, in, in validated performance record religion, you can't be sure. You're only as good as your best day. And hopefully you die on a good day if it's dependent upon your validated or validating performance record. So a couple of things for you guys tonight. Um, we've got a, couple, a, little, a little booklet here that I, has meant a lot to a lot of us here and want you to take home a copy with you. Or if you're watching and you want us to get a copy of this to you, just alpha at lakeviewchristiancenter.com. This little book is called How Good Are You? I, look, I'm an LSU graduate, and I, I can make it through this booklet right here. So if you've got more than an LSU degree, you're okay with this. Um, then I talked to, this book, to you about this book last week, The Case for Easter. We have a copy of that for you this week. want you to have that as well. Uh, if you're watching online, alpha at lakeviewchristiancenter.com, want to give you a copy of this book. Fascinating story, the evidences for the resurrection of Christ. And then this little prayer that we just prayed through a minute ago, uh, your table hosts have got just that. Again, there's nothing magic about this. These are not magic words. These are not fairy dust words. Uh, don't pull these out every time you have a problem and think, oh, wait a minute, I just sinned. I got to get back into God's good graces. Please don't do that. I will tear it up and make you have to eat it or something. That's not what this is about. Okay? You get born physically once. You get born into God's family once. And we're going to talk so much more about that next week. So anyway, thank you all for being here. It's great being with you. Uh, let's take a quick break. We've got some coffee. I want to thank you guys for joining us live stream and online. And we hope to see you next week for session four. How can I be sure of my faith? Thank you all. Have a good night.